Well, good morning. <clears throat> this has been a, a tough couple of weeks. If you are a fan of popular music, we played that opening tune, Freedom, by the late, great Richie Havens, who passed away. He opened Woodstock, and uh, yeah, singular moment and a singular talent. Also, this week saw the death of Chris Kelly, uh, part of the rap duo Chris Cross. Anybody remember Chris Cross from the early 90s? Chris, uh, Chris Cross was, uh, two tw- they were 12 years old when they were discovered in a mall in Atlanta. Uh, Chris Kelly is the one uh, on the left, known as the uh, Mac Daddy Chris Smith. The other one on the right, uh, known as the Daddy Mac. Uh, the, the gimmick with Criss Cross, you can go to the next slide, is that they wore their clothes backward. Uh, so you see that uh, that their uh, pants are backward, and so they uh, and, and shirts as well. Uh, cultural commentators of the time uh, disagreed as to whether, in a fight, uh, the Mac Daddy or the Daddy Mac would prevail. But it was universally agreed that uh, either of them could handle Axl Rose without any difficulty. Uh, as you see, they did learn uh, after one especially uh, awkward concert that the backward clothes thing doesn't work with hoodies. Um, so they figured that one out pretty quick, but uh, they're they're well known for their song "Jump," and then the uh, the follow-on to that was uh, "Warm It Up," and then uh, they have been. I think they were living on royalties, and uh, one of them still is. Uh, in our text this morning, Paul talks about getting it backward, and I think when many of us saw. Crisscross, wearing their clothes backward. This, by the way, was during the time when, when people would still wear their pants around their waists rather than their ankles. Uh, but it was still, uh, I think many of us saw it and thought that was awkward, except for a few people in the music industry who thought, damn it, why didn't I think of that first? Paul talks about us getting it backward. And he talks about what that results in. He talks about what we can do about it. We are here in chapter 8 of Romans, verses 12 to 13, and as has been my habit, let's get a running start here and start at the beginning of chapter 8. Paul says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the Torah of the life-giving Spirit has set you free from the death-dealing Torah of sin. What Torah was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And as for sin, He condemned it in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of Torah might be fully met in us who live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As we talked about before, this is a rather dense passage, and if we don't remember what Paul has said before, we may find it difficult. There are a few places in Scripture where you find words like therefore, and of course when you see the word therefore, you should... Try to figure out what it's there for. Uh, When Paul says, therefore, in the beginning of chapter 8, he is saying, in light of everything I've been saying for the last 
seven chapters. We know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, and here Paul tells the story, what God did was knowing that because we were weakened by the flesh, knowing that because of our fallen nature, we ourselves would not be able to fulfill the righteous requirements of Torah, which God had given so that the world might be reconciled to him. Knowing we couldn't do that, he sent his own son, who was able to fulfill all of the righteous requirements of Torah. And so all of the penalties that came with disobedience, that came with trespass, that came with the failure to live up to the standard, all of those ended up being placed on the shoulders of Jesus, who himself was the only one able to bear them all since he himself was without sin. God gathered all of the penalties for sin together in Jesus, and thus he exploded sin. He condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. So that we, who couldn't possibly fulfill all the righteous requirements of Torah in order that we might then be able to be reckoned as righteous. Not through our own efforts, not through our own being good, but because of Jesus' own righteousness, because of His goodness, His purity, His sinlessness. Because of that, we live according not to the flesh, which, after all, has been put to death, but according to the Spirit. Now, those who live according to the flesh, Paul goes on to say, they've got their minds set on the flesh and what the flesh wants. But those governed by the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit wants. The mind controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind that's governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It, it doesn't submit to God's law. It can't. It's diametrically opposed to it. By its very nature, the mind of the flesh wants its own, wants to do its own thing, wants to go its own way. It will not submit to anybody else. So those who are controlled by the flesh are unable to please God. If you're controlled by a hostile force, Obviously, you're not going to be able to work in harmony. But you, Paul says, you aren't controlled by the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And as we talked about last week, this section 9 through 11, think about Paul saying, and you are after each of these phrases. If you're not controlled by this sinful nature, by the flesh, but the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and He does. If anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, then they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, and He is, then even though your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and He is, 
then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your flesh, to your mortal bodies, because of His Spirit who lives in you. And He does. Paul here is addressing people who are in Christ, people who have chosen to receive the gift of new life in Him, those who have recognized Him as Lord and Messiah, those who are His and are therefore, as we talked about last week, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in verse 12, therefore, my brothers and sisters, we are under obligation. And again, this is a therefore, and this is not only just a therefore, this is so therefore. There's two words in Greek. This is a very strong, intensified therefore. In light, specifically, Paul says of what I have just said in verses 1 to 11, we are under obligation. But we're not under obligation to the flesh, so that we live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you're going to live. And I think what Paul is hearkening back to in this is the very, very old story that we find in the book of Genesis, one of the most ancient documents of the human race, telling the story of the first man and the first woman in the garden. And he he took the man, he put him in the garden to work it, to take care of it. Yahweh, God, commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat of it, you will surely die. So Yahweh God makes a suitable counterpart to the man. And the man and his woman, both naked, feeling unashamed in perfect unity. A perfectly healthy relationship with each other, with the creation around them and with the God who made them. But then we get the serpent, more crafty than any of the wild animals that Yahweh God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? She says, well, yeah, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Clearly something got lost in transmission or added in in this case. You're not going to die, the serpent said to the woman. See, God knows that when you eat of that, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We know the rest of the story. Here's the way C.S. Lewis explains What's going on here? He said, the moment that you have a self at all, there's a possibility of putting 
yourself first, right? Wanting to be the center, wanting, in fact, to be God. That was the sin of Satan. That was the sin he taught the human race. Some people think the fall of man had something to do with sex, but that's a mistake. The story in Genesis rather suggests that some corruption in our sexual nature followed the fall and was its result, not its cause. But what the enemy put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like God, that they could set up their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, he invented us, as somebody would invent an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Well, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. And that, C.S. Lewis says, that is why... It is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about his. God can't give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing as happiness and peace apart from God. It is just not there. It is impossible. It's like asking God to make a rock so big he couldn't lift it or to make a square circle. You can't do it. It's a logical impossibility. If God himself is the source of all life and all peace and all happiness and all that is good, then for us to ask him for something that is good apart from him is like asking for a chainsaw that works without you having to start the thing. It just doesn't make sense. So if you live according to the flesh, Paul says, then you're going to die because there's no life there. There's no life in you being your own master and you placing yourself on the throne. There's no life in you setting up a world where it's your world and everybody else is just living in it. There's no life there. But, Paul says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. The result need not be death. We're going to be talking about next week the eternal consequences of what we are what Paul is saying here, but I don't want us to jump too quickly to that because eternity starts now. Think about it by definition. If something's eternal, then it's forever, and forever starts now, right now. And so life, eternal life, the eternal kind of life that God promises us can start right 
Now, Paul says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. And if you live according to the flesh, that means death. There's absolutely nothing good there. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And what I love about this phrase of Paul's, about putting to death the deeds of the body, is he doesn't just say, if you go and sort of dance with the Spirit, then everybody's going to be fine. No, there, there's, there's a battle to be fought. There's a sense in which the battle's already, already won, but, but there's still a body to bury. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That gives us something worth doing. The ancients called that the mortification of the flesh. St. Chrysostom who wrote that beautiful prayer that we pray at the end of our at the end of our prayer time. He says that um, actually this isn't Chrysostom, this is origin. Chrysostom says, Paul touches once more on the resurrection since this was the most encouraging hope to the hearer, giving him a sense of security. Therefore, don't let your body live in this world so that it may be made alive in the next one. Make it die so that it may never die. If it goes on living, it'll die, but if it dies now, it will live forever. The man who is dead to this life is thus the one who is most truly alive. That's Chrysostom. But Origen, another one of these great church fathers, He says, by death and life, Paul isn't talking about physical death and life. He's talking about the death of sin and eternal life, which everyone who is in the spirit and has put to death the works of the flesh may experience. But we've got to realize, Origen says, this mortification of the deeds of the flesh comes through patience. It's not a sudden thing, but it comes step by step. At first the deeds of the flesh will start to wilt. But then, as we progress in our faith, as we become more dedicated, then the deeds of the flesh not only wilt, they start to die out. Think of a lawn full of dandelions. Then you put that weed killer stuff on it. You see it wilt, and you don't see dandelions anymore. Some of you really like that picture. That's what it's like. If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. We are obligated, Paul says. And as, we, as I've talked about before, this is not a message that we particularly like to hear. We like to think of ourselves as free. We like to think of ourselves often as being our own bosses. But the fact is, we've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. We are obligated to something. And the truth is, if we think we are not obligated to anything, then we are blind to the fact we are obligated to doing whatever the hell we feel like doing. No? Paul says, i got a better idea. 
There is a better master for you than yourself. One who is kinder, who is more gracious, who is more loving, who is more generous, who is more forgiving, who is more merciful. One who not only thinks he knows what's good for you, but actually does. If you live according to yourself as your master, you will find that you yourself are unable to work out for yourself the things you really need. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And again, this message is one of eternal life, but it's not high in the sky, by and by, eternal life. This is the eternal kind of life that begins now. This is the life in the Spirit. Will you pray with me?